Hello and welcome back to the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. I'm your host, as per usual, Rory Bryce, and I'm joined by Philip Rourke. How's it going, mate? What's up, Rory? Good, good. Um, tired after my adventures over the over the last few days, but uh, other than that, very good. Yeah, you've been. Um, I, I, well, I was going to say all over the world. You've been to uh, the Netherlands and Italy, so it's still very, very fun. Not all over the world by any means, but. Um, you've been a well-travelled man in the last couple of months, and you've been enjoying some good football as well. So you must be knackered. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that. Yeah, probably not due to the football though. Uh, probably the other antics that follow there. But uh, I'm not taking any blame for that. Um, I'm going to take the uh, the Dutch lads, Vincent, as we all know, been on the podcast a few times, blaming him for it. <laughs> uh, but no, no, it, it was it was a brilliant time, brilliant, uh, brilliant atmosphere, um, and looking forward to more adventures, uh, especially the one next week. Yeah, you're going to uh, head off again. It's Paris you're going to, isn't it? Next week. Oh, oh no, next week. week. Oh, no, no, of course. Next week you're coming to Glasgow. You're going to come and, uh, come and take in a Celtic game with myself. So did things get a little bit carried away uh, when you went to the Netherlands then after the game? Uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't carried away, but they were... Um, I mean, look, we had good fun. And uh, over in the Netherlands, the, the pubs don't close, put it that way. And uh, the lads can the lads can certainly drink, and they put me to the test. Uh, put put my Irishness to the test, but uh, I think I done well. Uh, I don't remember getting home or anything like that. But uh, look, I, I I you know I I got home. That's the main thing, uh, and I'm back home in Ireland now and ready for next week. Good, excellent. Well, it sounds like you've been having a good time. We're also joined tonight, not just myself and Phil this evening. We're joined as well by uh, our expert, our guest, our interviewee for this evening, whatever your word you want to put on it. Ryan Hubbard, how are you, mate? How are things? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, um, we've got some, uh, as we're recording it, we've got some Polish football teams playing tonight. So, um, mm. yeah, so keeping an eye on that. Um, not going as well as we'd hoped, but uh, yeah, apart from that, all good. Excellent, glad to hear it. So if that isn't your clue for this evening, listeners, we are going to be covering uh, a Polish club this evening. Now, we've already covered one Polish club, which was Lechia Polonia Gdansk, uh, whereas this time we're going to be covering the other Polish club, which we're covered, which is Yuchenka Krakow. Um, club from Krakow, they were founded in, I think it was 1919, sometime around then, maybe a little earlier, and they went defunct in 1939. And we're going to be exploring all the reasons why that happened. We're going to be talking about their history with Ryan, who is very much an expert on Polish football, helped Philip out with a chapter in the book. Uh, if you've read it, you've probably seen the interview at the end. And then we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about Polish football towards the end as well and just branch out as we normally do. But before we kick things off, Ryan, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I've been covering Polish football for, I've lost count of the years now. It's probably about 14, 15 years. Um, started out following it with friends and then built that into something uh, a little bit bigger. Uh, written for a number of newspapers and magazines, websites, um, covered Poland at, at various international tournaments and also have my own book as well, uh, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will will enjoy, given it's uh, based on the history of Polish football. Uh, and it, you know, during during my early chapters of the book, yeah, we I also talk about teams such as Yurchenko Krakow um, and many others as well, which which disappeared uh, during the war and and during the sort of nineteen thirties and nineteen forties. 
Amazing. I'd love to give that a read. But tell tell us all what's it called, so we can. So, go so the book is called From Partition to Solidarity: The First One Hundred Years of Polish Football, and it is about the the entirety of the first hundred years of Polish football. As it says, it's it starts in the sort of eighteen nineties when Polish football first where where Polish people first kicked a football. Uh, and the book sort of comes to a, I believe, a logical end uh, at the uh, fall of communism uh, mm. and and uh, yeah. the turn of Poland into a sort of uh, a more Western capitalist state. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, yeah. I, I've only read uh, little snippets of it and stuff like that online. I haven't actually bought it. Uh, I'm going through uh, <laughs> about four or five books at the moment um, uh, with a lot of guests who come on have written books, but definitely, definitely a read. Uh, I must read, especially if you're into your Polish football. Not even Polish football, if you're into football in general. Um, it's quite interesting. Uh, the historic part. Um, you know, Poland, I think this, this is why I have two clubs uh, here with, with Poland. And the club that we're about to cover here is probably more historic uh, and more kind of a, a social aspect and political aspect and a religious aspect um, than the last Polish club that we, that we picked, uh, definitely. Well, that's what yeah. I was say because with um with what Ryan was saying there, obviously, um the book sounds very very comprehensive and and I, I paid next week so I'll be able to pick it up then hopefully, um, but I think you're right in that okay, the natural end would be the the collapse of the Soviet Union when the Iron Curtain fell, so to speak, um and and Poland and the other former satellite nations kind of transitioned, um so that is quite a good natural end and and as Phil mentioned this club that we're going to cover, but I can imagine a number of other clubs in Poland will also have that political, social and religious backdrop to them either being founded, being defunct, their fans' identity, etc, etc. So it's quite a lot to cover and I think that's why that's why it interests me. That's why Polish football kind of maybe appeals to me isn't, isn't the right word, but that's why it interests me from a research point of view and it's just not something that I've, I've ever looked into, but something that I always have had a bit of an interest in from that perspective. Yeah, I think I think even when writing the book, it, it didn't originally start out as a as a an entire history of Polish football as such. It started out as uh, a few sort of stories that I picked up on Polish footballers around the Second World War. Uh, and then once you start talking about the Second World War, you have to sort of add in bits about the First World War, and then you have to talk about what happened after the Second World War. And then all of a sudden, you're into communism, and you're into the 60s, the 70s, and before you know it, it the, the thing with Polish football and what I sort of discovered and sort of hadn't been aware of really to the extent of it was how interlinked Polish football and politics and history are all intertwined. It really um, it's, it's just entirely throughout the history of polish football there is a, a political element or a religious element or or some sort of social element which had a massive impact on football and hopefully and you know i i believe i have and hopefully other people who read it believe that you know my book sort of covers that and doesn't stray too far from being a football book but also gives you a good narrative of, of what was going on historically at the time as well mm. well i think if the if the history of football clubs are I mean, I personally believe that that football and politics can't be separated for for different reasons that we won't go into at the moment. That that could be an entirely different podcast episode. But especially if you have clubs that are founded by religious groups, groups of friends, groups of workers, um, political parties, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you can't really separate them, and it and it becomes part of of the game. But it's it's also what makes the game special. 
and it will be that way as we come to find out with uh, with Chichenka. Really, really fascinating club, really interesting club. Obviously, Ryan, you interviewed for Phil's book. Phil, you wrote the chapter on them, so I'll let you guys kick things off. Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Yuchenka Krakow? Yeah, I mean, they're a club, a uh, short chapter, they're a short enough chapter. They weren't around um, for too long, I suppose. Uh, I think they were around until 1939, would that be correct, Ryan? That's correct. Um, yeah, I think they were from 19... I think it was 1912, was it? Or they could have been sooner than that. I think, I think, I think it was 1910. I yeah, think it was 1910 is that that um sort of uh, known for being founded, but you have a lot of things in Polish football where where clubs were founded as not necessarily football clubs but sports yeah. clubs, and they have a lot of um you will have boxing division or gymnastics division, and and you know it does become a bit grey, um shall we say, about yeah. about especially for, especially for clubs that have um disappeared. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think we found that with a good few of the European clubs. Um, Dujenka, uh, Krakow, as they're known, uh, their, their full name. So they're from the, the city of Krakow, which we will get on to, uh, obviously, because it's quite a big uh, football in the city, as, as we all know, with, with a, a big, big derby there. But this club, uh, as, as you can imagine, Dujenka, I can only, is basically, a, I don't know the translation of it, but I, I assume it's something to do with Jewish because they were formed by the Jewish minority over there. Is that correct? I, I believe the transition, uh, the translation is is something like Dawn. Um, and okay. to be honest, I'm not entirely sure on. There were a lot of uh, uh, largely Jewish clubs that that uh, did, uh, you know, that, that were called uh, Yutschenka. Um, so it's it's they're not, um, you know, unique in that sense. Yeah. I suppose um, I, mean, uh, I suppose part of that assumption as well though would be as and as we'll come on to we'll cover it in more depth, but just to give a little bit of context, you had Yushenka Krakow, who uh, as well as potentially um being founded by people of the Jewish faith, they were also part of a, a wider a, a different movement within Judaism called Buddhism, which I believe was largely left leaning for the time. And they had a, a fierce, fierce rivalry with um the Maccabi Krakow, who were more to the right, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, so already you're you're kind of yeah already you're tr- you're getting into the kind of uh, political and kind of religious kind of aspect of this. Um, in, in my chapter, I kind of tried to stay away from. I just wanted to tell the kind of history of it, um, of of the football club. But um, it definitely definitely does take a, a huge uh, political and religious aspect to it. Um, they were a club, uh, as you said, they had a big uh, rivalry with a club called Maccabi Krakow. Uh, crack, crack off or crack out. How am I, I, I pronouncing that? I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's crack off. Uh, it is crack off. Crack off. It is. It is. <laughs> um, and originally these two clubs, um, were the ones who originally started off the holy war, as it's known. So at the moment, people might be familiar with the holy war with Krakowia and Wisla who are the big big clubs over there at the moment, and they they play the the holy war as they call it. But these two clubs were originally the ones who started the holy war. Uh, Ryan, can you tell us about the holy war? I suppose. <laughs> so it was um, as as you've already pretty much established. It was the two big Jewish clubs in in Krakow, uh, and yeah, the the derby did become known as the holy war. Um, and as you have mentioned, it has. Uh, sort of translated and it's become uh, the name for the derby, the crack of derby between uh, Krakowia and Wisła. 
And that uh, effectively, I can't remember the year off the top of my head. It was in the uh, perhaps the night uh, early 1930s. Uh, there was one of the Jewish players for Cracovia. Uh, his name was Ludwig Gintel. Uh, he'd previously, I think, I think he started out his um, career very as a very young player as at Yushchenko. Uh and it was I can't remember his exact words. It was something like uh, trying to g up his teammates ahead of ahead of the game against Viswa. He was he said something like, "This is our holy war." And it sort of stuck from then. Yeah, he's actually he actually played uh, in the Olympics for Poland, uh, I believe. Uh, so he was quite a big player. We are going to talk about uh, actually in in the chapter was an awful lot was uh, covered by uh, a player, Josef uh, uh, Josef Klotz, is it? Yes, Klotz, um, yeah. yeah. So I talk about him. We will get on to him a little bit later because I found he was fascinating. Um, a fascinating character and somebody that's kind of overlooked maybe a forgotten football player uh, somebody Rory we, we we might look into a little bit further because uh, for me he he kind of epitomises Polish football he kind of started off Polish football really uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more um, they, they were the club that they only played I think in the in the top league once would that be correct? Um, yeah that's the- that, that's correct so um, I mean the Polish uh, league system, league structure didn't start until 1927. Uh, obviously, as you've as you've mentioned, they were they were formed in sort of 1910, 1912, somewhere in that region. So, uh, for a lot of their early um, life as a club, uh, Poland only sort of had regional competitions, and that was partly because obviously they were formed during a time where there wasn't a Poland. Um, so during during the First World War is or, or at the end of the First World War is when Poland gained its independence. Prior to that, they were split up into three. They were part of the three empires. Part of them were uh, part of Poland was in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Part of them was in the Prussian Empire, and the rest was in the Russian Empire. Uh, Krakow itself was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, uh, and. Yeah, there, there was basically a crack of regional championships uh, and there were teams like Yushchenko, like Maccabi Krakow, Wisła, uh, Krakowia, a couple of other smaller clubs as well. So, uh, yeah, and, and once Poland gained its independence in 1918, they started to, basically the winners of those um, regional championships would play in a national championships and you would get uh, the the winning club from the crack of uh championship which often was Cracovia. Uh, I think Wisła may have won it once or twice as well. Uh, they would play against the winner of the Warsaw Championships uh, or or the winner of the um, Poznan Championships for example. Uh, uh, so there wasn't a league structure as such. That, that league structure finally uh, was created in 1927 uh, and, and it wasn't under the auspices of the Polish Football Association at the time. So um, basically there was a bit of a dispute between the Polish Football Association and all of these clubs which were fed up of, you know, perhaps finishing second in their regional championships, but they still felt that they they you know they deserved to play against the teams in, in the other in the other regions in, in a national championship as such. So um at the time Krakowia, their president was also high up in the PZPN, uh, which is the Polish FA. Uh, and because it was this sort of um, standoff between the league clubs and and the Polish Football Association, Krakowia decided not to take part. Um, with their obviously with their boss being uh, within the PZPN, uh, and as such, a place was offered to Yushchenko uh, for for that first league season. 
So that's, yeah, that was their only, one and only league season, uh, was the first league season. So they were a founder member of the Polish League. Uh, and unfortunately, they were relegated in that first season and, and never returned. Yeah, 1927 is uh, is what I have down uh, is when they, when they played and um, yeah, as I said, quite quite brief um, up there in the in the elite uh, leagues of Polish football. Um, I mean, they did continue on. Um, as I said, they didn't uh, disband until I think it was 1937. Was it uh, 1939? 1939. Uh, so you're probably getting into the kind of you know World War Two kind of uh, aspect here. Um, yeah, that's that's when. Um... Went as well. It was, it was long after the. Well, it was the year of World War Two started, obviously, and 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 things had, had gone to pop for a lot of people in a lot of places for a long mm. time. Uh, again, massive understatement. Um, Poland, I believe, had already been invaded at that point. Um, so it's no surprise that the, the club would have been disbanded. Uh, particularly if we're right in saying that, that they were a club with Jewish heritage or for Jewish people, um, the, the Nazi occupation would have disbanded them and and probably done a lot worse with, with immediate effect. Yeah, it was um, Jewish football was um, big in Poland. You had not only the crack of clubs, mm. but there were there were clubs in Warsaw, clubs in Poznan, clubs all over the country, which were of Jewish heritage. I th- I, I don't and, know. And other other countries them. as well, all across Europe, Jewish yes, associations exactly. were were essentially wiped out, like completely. Yeah. And we don't mean that just temporarily. Obviously, we know. You may have noticed the the connection with the 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 rivals of Yuchenka uh, Maccabi, which is quite a popular name for for a lot of teams and and the football leagues in Israel. Um, but when we say wiped out, we we mean completely eradicated and and would never come back. Yeah, it was um, obviously devastating. Um, it's football in Krakow in particular was so Krakow was really the hotbed of Polish football. You, you had Krakow and Lvov. Uh, which were the two sort of founder cities. The first, the first two teams uh, were established in those two cities. Uh, the first game of Polish football took place between clubs from Lwów and club from Krakow, and those two cities in particular were absolutely devastated by by the um, Nazi invasion. Absolutely. Like I mean, there's plenty of Polish clubs I could have picked. Uh, to be honest, which we'll go on to uh, in the future. But this is just a club that caught my eye uh, simply because of this. Um, another reason what caught my eye was, as as I, I talked about there, was a player, uh, Klotz. Now, uh, Ryan Klotz, uh, I assume he features a little bit in your book, um, because he is uh, a big, big name. Well, I mean, I would assume he's a big name in in Polish football. Would he be? Would he be one of the pioneers of? You could say he he is in a way is yeah perhaps one of the pioneers of Polish football. But as to how well known he is, I wouldn't say really he is that well known, and that's yeah. purely because of um you know being in the position that he was pre-war as well. Uh, a lot of in in researching my book, there was a lot of stuff that I had to do a lot of digging for uh, in regards to anything that was before the Second World War. Uh, yeah. And even more so if it involved a Jewish uh, club or a Jewish player, because I mean, largely records and, and everything were just wiped out. And, you know, and it's it's absolutely horrific to say, but it, it was almost made as though, though those players and those clubs didn't exist. Exactly. Uh, um, and that's the so... thing is maybe what a lot of people don't don't 
realise maybe, I don't want to say I don't understand, but maybe a lot of people who are casually into football history or, or, or don't know that much about it, particularly where World War II is concerned, a lot of players from the, the early days of football in countries are, generally speaking, not very well known unless you're in a, a historic football circle, which is fine. When it comes to players from a Jewish faith in Europe, or a Jewish background, sorry, um, in Europe, the likelihood is that, that, that much of what was known about them at the time is now gone. And, and will not be recovered because, as, as you say, Ryan has just been... They were made to essentially be as if they never existed. Yeah, and um, obviously, as as you've alluded to, Klotz had a, a massive uh, part to play in the history of Polish football. Mm. Uh, he was a Yushchenko player, and whilst he was uh, at Yushchenko, he was uh, called into the Polish national team. Uh, the Polish national team was established, or its first game took place at the back end of 1921, which was only a couple of years after the establishment of the Polish Football Association. Uh, and uh, they, they, their first two games were against Hungary. Uh, the first one, uh, they were defeated 1-0 in Budapest. Uh, the second one, uh, was it in Krakow, uh, they were beaten 3-0. Uh, mm-hmm. And the third game uh, came against Sweden in Stockholm. Uh, and Klotz had the honour of uh, scoring the Polish national team's first ever goal, uh, penalty yeah. kick. Oh, amazing! That's really cool. Yeah, um, and this is why this is why I'm saying he's a, a pioneer of Polish football because he is the first man to score uh, for Polish football. Um, it's it's kind of why I include the club because I, I kind of wanted to put put him in it because as as we've alluded to these type of players kind of do get forgotten in history, and he he's a man that I just feel. Uh, has you know Poland is a big uh, football nation, and for for him to be the first ever goal scorer uh, for that nation at international level, uh, it's kind of a big deal for myself, or not for myself, but for for I, I'd assume for Polish fans uh, and and you know Polish football fans. Um, like I mean, he only played for two clubs as well, Dujekov, uh, Krakow, uh, and he played for another Maccabi. Uh, Warsaw is would that be correct? Am I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Um, so he played for he played for Yurchenko. He played for Maccabi. He did actually, I believe, if if I'm right in saying, he did actually come back to uh, to Krakow and played for Maccabi as well okay. in Krakow. Um. So I I think he did play for a few of the clubs, but you know by that time his obviously career was coming to an end. Um. Yeah. Um, wasn't it? Obviously, wasn't at a high level as well, given that um. The, the clubs such as Maccabi didn't uh, ever play in the league. Yeah, um, I mean it, it did come to an end. Um, he he actually retired in nineteen thirty. Um, maybe why he's not talked about an awful lot. And actually, to be honest, this is probably a, a reason why he should be maybe talked about more. Is how he how he died. Um, he basically died in a in a German uh, war camp uh, in nineteen forty uh, in a Warsaw ghetto, um, which. He was, he, you know, it, it says in, in the historic facts he was murdered. Um, so I mean, to me, you know, he's a bit of a, a bit of a, a martyr, uh, a bit, of, you know, I don't know. Is there would there be any statues of him, Ryan? Like, I mean, if it, I'm just, I'm just thinking, if that was somebody in Ireland, <laughs> and there is plenty of statues in Ireland of all these kind of historic figures, um, is there anything to commemorate him in Poland or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. Um. And I, I think that's purely because of um, the scale of of what happened in in mm. German occupied Poland at the time. Um, 
it you know it wasn't just Klotz. Uh, there was there was another player who played for Cracovia of Jewish heritage, mm -hmm. uh, Leon Sperling. I think he was killed in a in a um, in one of the ghettos. Um, there were numerous um, members of uh, numerous footballers, numerous members of uh, the, you know founders of the Polish FA, that sort of thing, who were who were killed in the Katyn massacre. Um, you had several others who died during the war. Um, players such as Jozef Kawuja, who is the um, sort of, um, he was the Polish national team coach uh, right uh, just before the war. He was, a, he was also a Krakowia legend, one of the founding players of Krakowia. Uh, he died, although it wasn't um, directly attributed to the war. It was obviously during that period as well. Um, so I think it's, it's not that um, Polish football hasn't, necessarily wanted to honor him it's just that there was that scale of stuff going on that there are perhaps hundreds of people they could have honored um uh they the polish football association sorry the polish football association did actually honor him uh, a few years ago Amazing. uh poland played a, a friendly match i think it was a friendly match at the time uh, against israel mm -hmm. uh and and during or before that match uh Klotz was honoured uh, by the Polish Football Association. Uh, there was a sort of a a bit of a presentation and a bit of a um, memorial before before the match, mm -hmm. and that is about that is I think the first time that that he was sort of not acknowledged but uh, you know really brought to prominence, shall we say? Because like like I say, a lot of people, if you if you mentioned his name in Poland, a lot of people wouldn't know who he was. So, That's the thing as well, yeah, just it, with the, the the sheer scale of dehumanization that took place, it was unlikely that a monument or statue would would ever have yeah. been erected, even in the immediate aftermath. But also, yeah. it's there were there were likely a number of footballers and other people as well, other sports people and and other just individuals who, because there was no records because of the mass burials, they were just presumed dead. Um, yeah. and that's all that would be left behind. Yeah, I mean, I I just felt he is one of the ultimate forgotten football players. So he had to be kind of added into the book, if you know what I mean. It was kind of this is the kind of aspect of the of this football club, and and he was the main kind of a um kind of driver behind it, if you know what I mean. Um, obviously they, they went as I said, nineteen thirty nine. Um, they never recovered the World War Two, and and that was that was that. Um, Ryan, but if by your knowledge, did was there ever an attempt to recover this club? Well, have there has there been an attempt? Uh, is there anything uh, about them at all? Um, I'm not aware of anything, and I think that's purely because, again, the scale of um, I think Poland was, if I'm correct in saying that, and again, I don't have the numbers to it, but they were the, uh, the how do you how would you best say it? Um, they were the the country that was most populated by Jewish or people of Jewish faith in Europe at the time. Uh, and obviously, uh, I, th I think Norman Davis, the historian, says he calls Poland God's playground. Uh, and that's purely because of the amount. If you look at World War One, World War Two, the bulk of it happened on what is Polish soil. In Poland, is it's the epicenter of, of World War One and World War II. Um, so, yeah, I... I it's it's just a it's just a horrible history that Poland has. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, that, that, that's the thing. It's that that period of history from even even if you go back to pre turn of the century, 
to 1900 um, with the Prussian Empire and uh, you had other wars going on as well. There was a period of about 100 years where it, it was, it was, I mean, calling it pretty rough would, is, is obviously a huge understatement, but it, it was a period of time when um, Poland was just going through war after war, invasion after invasion, and, and there was no... Well, it's just, it just didn't or... exist. Poland yeah, just didn't exist for 120-odd years. Um, I mean, the one thing you would say is that, as I previously mentioned, Poland was obviously split between the three empires, the Russian, the Prussian, and the Austro-Hungarian. Uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which Krakow, in which Krakow sat, that, that was probably the most liberal of the three. Um, you had the Russian... Um, the Russian Empire, which were very, um, as you'd imagine, with the with the Russian Empire, they're very pro-Russian. They 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 tried to change the language. They they you know tried to eradicate Polishness. Uh, mm. And and similar and similar for the Prussian Empire as well. They they were very pro-German. Wanted uh, everybody to speak German. Wanted to eradicate um, Polishness. Uh, whereas. Whereas the Austro-Hungarians were the first to allow the Poles to have their own football association, they were the first to um, say that that you know Poles were happy. They were allowed to speak Polish. They they, they had these hotbeds of uh, Polish culture, the cities like Krakow and and Lviv, and and I suppose that's uh, partly. In, they were allowed to express within and grow yeah, they were they were allowed to have political parties they were allowed to express religion uh, so so it's understandable that that that, that was where the, the jewish clubs managed to thrive shall we say and then of course but, um, you have a, a very brief period of of relative peacetime during independence and then there's the the invasion from Nazi Germany and then afterwards they're they're yanked over to the, the other side politically and and they're they're under communism in a satellite state of the Soviet Union. So yeah. it's incredibly, incredibly harsh period of time. And and again, another another period of time where perhaps um uh the the authorities were not um so keen on Jewish people um at the time. It was uh, you know under communism. Uh, they were very anti-religion i mean even even for catholics in in poland where poland is obviously a, a heavily catholic country now um but but yeah uh, the communists didn't allow uh poles to or they weren't they weren't keen on the poles to practice religion but but as i said previously you have to look i think i've got a statistic somewhere in the back of my head and i'm sure it says 85 percent of poland's jewish population was after the war no longer in poland Mm. so so that just that just shows why perhaps uh, a lot of the jewish clubs didn't bother mm. you know trying trying to reform or trying to restart because there was no one to restart them of course and a, an aspect that's often overlooked is that just because just because nazi germany were defeated and these countries liberated in air quotes it doesn't mean that anti-semitism just came to an end you know it's, it's not just a, a, a block you know there were still some pol policies that lingered um, there were still people who held anti-Jewish sentiment. Like it, it would have been very, very tough for them to to re-establish themselves. But after the war, Poland joined the Soviet Union, or joined, say in air quotes, um, became a satellite nation of the Soviet Union. Uh, and even if you just wanted to give us a brief run through, Ryan, even if it's source material from your book of how Polish football developed uh, post-war, uh, up until the collapse of the 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 Iron Curtain. 
So after the war, um, a lot of the what we call the bigger clubs now, uh, shall we say, uh, clubs like Krakowia, Wisła, uh, Legia Warsaw, uh, Lek Poznan, uh, they all emerged from the war. Um, and in the sort of early or yeah, the early fifties, um, a lot of the Polish clubs were given state sponsors uh, under communism. So effectively, they would be sponsored by government. Um, shall we say, uh, Lech Poznan, for example, uh, were the club of the railways, uh, Legia Warsaw, the club of the army, uh, some of the newer clubs, uh, Gornik Zabrze, for example, Red Star, and and other countries, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, as as you'd see in those other countries, uh, and that sort of became the basis of where Polish football went. You'd have the clubs such as Legia, who were the club of the army, who were able to call up players for national service and effectively put them into their ranks and put them into their team and effectively they could pinch all of the best players from across the country um you had the odd club uh one of the, one of the clubs that um was established in 48 and and gained prominence in the late 50s was Gornik Zabrze mm. uh they were the they were the club of the miners uh and and the mining industry um yep. and and one thing about mining in poland is that it's uh, i describe it in my book as the the black blood of poland it was it was crucial to their economy that that i won't say their entire economy but a good chunk of their economy was based on on coal mining okay. uh, so they were effectively became legia's nemesis because as as with mining being so important um Legia couldn't call up their players for national service. Mm. So they were able to sort of get around it and become Legia's biggest rivals. And you had a period during the 60s and 70s where th- those were the two biggest clubs in Poland. Uh, and they were, Gornik Zabrze, for example, managed to get into the European Cup. They, they, the year that Manchester United won the European Cup, uh, they were, Gornik Zabrze were the only club to actually defeat them oh, wow. during that. Uh, so uh, in 1968, they uh, they lost the first game uh, in Manchester 2-0, uh, but but in Katowice, they, they won 1-0. So yeah, they became the only team to actually beat them in their champ- uh, European Cup winning campaign. Oh, uh, and two years two years later, they got to the Cup Winners' Cup final uh, and play, uh, they were defeated by Manchester City. Uh, and they still remain the only Polish club ever to, to get to the final of a European competition. Uh, in the same year, Legia Warsaw uh, reached the semi-final of the of the European Cup and were defeated by Feyenoord. And yeah, you had this you had this spell where Polish football developed, but it was it was very much under communism, under <laughs> under um, socialist ideology and under socialist ideals. Uh, and and you you got you got to this point where during the late eighties you had the fall of uh, you had the fall of communism. Uh, and some of those clubs, such as Gornik Zabrze, for example, who were by that time 14 times champions of Poland. Uh, you also had Ruk Horzhov, who were 14 times champions of Poland. Uh, they lost their financial backing and just effectively collapsed. Um, neither side, neither of those two sides have, have won a league title since. And you had you had clubs such as Polonia, Warsaw, uh, who were who were massive and massive symbols of um, Polishness? Um, mm-hmm. You can tell by their name. Yeah. Uh, who 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 were the biggest club in Warsaw pre-war? Um, really. Uh, who, as a symbol of Polishness, the the communists came down pretty heavy on them. Uh, they right. gave them uh, 
the the railways as the sponsor but the the railways were the the most destitute of the government um state owned uh industries so mm. so they couldn't pump a lot of money in even then the railways decided to pump uh, all of the money into Lech Poznan instead so Polonia Warsaw this symbol of polishness absolutely disappeared uh, and it was only on the fall of communism when when they started to rebuild themselves. Similarly mm. for Cracovia as well. Um, again, they were seen as a sort of a bastion of Polishness, and and they were disappeared. Whereas Wisła Kraków, uh, their their big rivals, they were they were given the patronage of the militia, the the police. Um, so they they effectively built themselves up and became quite a big club during the sixties, seventies, eighties. And you had a lot of that going on. It was it was. Um, the the favored clubs of the authorities uh, tended to do the best, uh, and yeah. obviously with the yeah, we, we've communism heard that before from from other nations as well. So always, yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously with the fall of communism, things started to balance out uh, a little bit more, and money started to become king, um, mm. and that's where we. I mean, we've got tales of match fixing and stuff that was. Um, that was heavily prevalent during the seventies, eighties, um, but only really um, came to prominence during the sort of nineties and early two thousands. Hmm. Yeah, it's you've raised a lot of really, really interesting points there, and and it was a really, really good run through of of the years, sort of pre war up up until the present day. Um, well, not really the present day, up until the, the the fall of the Soviet Union, at least. One thing that I thought was quite important that you touched on, and and if you've listened to our episodes before. Uh, you'll know that, that that I work within heritage and and within football. My ideas and and the things that I like to research revolve around uh, fans, teams, and their heritages and how they use those heritages and engage with them. So, again, where Polish football makes that interesting for me is you have teams called Polonia quite often, uh, which is a very very you know that you can see where they're bringing their heritage into that. It's it's a very very uh, nationalistic. Um, you know, kind of evocation and things like that, but also with with countries such as Poland and and other countries which were formerly uh, occupied by Nazi Germany and then occupied by the Soviet Union, what you find is that because they went through extended periods of occupation from two regimes, which tended to suppress not just national ideologies but any form of individualism in favor of of a, of a, a unified um sort of idea of nationalism, shall we say. What you'll often find is that when these clubs start to form and come back, particularly when you see the revolution starting to happen in Poland and, and unrest, a lot of the heritage that these clubs use and, and a lot of it that they evoke is really, really strong. And it's stronger than a lot of what we see in Western Europe, for example. Yeah, we do see, you see a hell of a lot. You've you've mentioned Polonia there. Um, and, and you would say clubs like Polonia are uh, very big on their nationalism polonia for example they they're, they're it amazes me how they aren't the biggest club in in warsaw um purely because they were the first they were 1910 whereas uh it's six years earlier than legia um they were the the big club in poland uh the uh, the first team in warsaw to win the championship um they had the best players and to just suddenly fall off the cliff by um no faults of their own effectively is it's just it's amazing amazing obviously in a bad way but amazing to to sort of try and understand how that happened um again Krakowia were another one they they were 
settled in the second, third tier for for a lot. And it's only the sort of last 20 years where they've they've found their way back up and found their way back into the top flight. And, you know, you go to now and, and they are the bigger club in Krakow because Visva are in the second tier, whereas Krakowia are in the top tier. Um, yeah, and and you see it. Um, in Poland, like you say, there is a, there is a big nationalistic element, but a, a, not just a nationalistic, but a patriotic element as well. I think um, it can sometimes lead to some of the nastier elements, yeah. especially if we, and and it's again, it's the same with many countries that that, that were members of the Eastern Bloc, um, or occupied by other regimes as well. That the do seem that it it does kind of create a bit of a petri dish for, for some nasty elements to, to kind of come out of that as well, particularly where nationalism is concerned. Not that all nationalism is necessarily bad, um, depending on who you ask, but to be diplomatic, but it can be, you know, a bit of a catalyst for, for fascism effectively and, and, and some really, really racist elements. Yeah, it, it can. But I mean, I mean, you go back to patriotism and nationalism. You, you look at the Polish national team during the sure. uh, the communist period, and you know the the historic games. Looking back on them, and even at the time, the the big games were against the fellow socialist countries. Yeah, the games against the Soviet Union, the games against uh, East Germany. Mm. Uh, they they were seen as the big games, and I'm currently in the middle of writing my second book at the moment, um, and it's it's focusing on the 1982 World Cup in particular. Um, but the big game during that World Cup was the second round game between Poland and the Soviet Union. Oh wow! And it was it was effectively it was effectively a quarter final match. Yeah. Um, purely for the fact that if um, Poland only needed to draw to go through. The Soviets needed to win to go through, but it was between those two clubs, and within with the background of what was going on with the the fall of communism in its early days, shall we say, um, you had the democratic trade unions rising up in Poland as well. It was a very much uh, it wasn't about necessarily what was going on on the pitch; it was about what was going on in the stands or back at home and the fans. It was it was the big game. It was you know almost more important than the semi-final um that was coming up um mm. and again you see it as i said east germany was obviously the neighbors to uh to the west that 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 was always a big game they played them uh they played against east germans several times in the late 70s and early 80s for in qualification for tournaments uh and it was just the whole atmosphere it was just you, you just have to it doesn't matter if you don't qualify for the tournament you just have to win. You just have to beat these Germans, and yep. and it's and it was about this. It was, I think, to some extent, it was for the uh, for the Polish political uh, element. It was for them. It was trying to prove that their version of socialism was better than the East Germans' version of socialism <laughs> or the or the Soviets. Yeah, um, yeah. But you had this, and and Zbigniew Boniek has said it before as well um, about about the Soviets. Uh, that they had nothing against the Soviet players because the the Soviet players were in a very similar situation to the Polish players. In in you know their lives were very similar. They were under the same race or the same sort of regime as such. So they had nothing mm. against the the Pol- uh, sorry against the Soviet players or necessarily the East German players. No, but for the fans, it was everything. Well, that's it, it. And and at the end of the day, for for the players as well, you know, you just just 
what you're saying is absolutely spot on. They, a lot of them would have lived the same lives. Um, potentially, they would have even been friends. You know, they, they would yeah. know each other and, and speak with each other frequently. But also, and and I think when we get really, really deep into these conversations, what what we always like to remind people is that it's still a competitive sport, and sports people yeah. are always going to be competitive, regardless of how friendly they are with each other. Um, so yeah, of course, there's going to be that 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 kind of little in, internal socialist derby, if you like. Um, which I quite like the thought of since you've been talking about it. Really, really, really interesting stuff. Look forward to reading that when it comes out. Um, get, get, getting on to then, uh, I suppose, uh, the uh, forgotten football clubs in Poland, so other clubs that have kind of um, coll- collapsed or, or disappeared. I mean, we have talked about how Poland has been quite diverse and, and, and was kind of destroyed and stuff like that. However, they're one of the European clubs or countries, pardon me, that actually has fairly few clubs that have actually uh, been known as forgotten football clubs, technically. On my list, I have uh, about 26, 20, 27. Um, so, you know, that's that's quite, you know, I, I, 26 clubs is still a lot. But say compared to Ireland, for example, that has 43, 42, 43. Uh, England that has over 200, 300. Um, you know, and other, other nations. Poland, which has quite a big population and as we, we talked about, a diverse uh, kind of history, uh, politically and socially. Um, 20, 26, 27 isn't an, an awful lot. So is it is it right to say, Ryan, that, you know, when football clubs are run they are run right in Poland, would, would you say? Um, I wouldn't necessarily go that far <laughs> in saying that. Um, some of the, the way that a lot of Polish clubs have been run and, and the way that some are still run isn't um, exactly great. Um, I, the one thing I would say about Polish clubs is, or, or the forgotten or the lost Polish clubs, uh, is a, a sheer, the sheer amount of bigger clubs that, that were lost, shall we say, or... or or shall we say important clubs uh, to Polish football. Um, and a lot of them will have been during the war, um, not just uh, for religious reasons, like like we've mentioned, uh, Yushchenko and Maccabi, um, but some of the founders of Polish football, uh, as I've mentioned before in, in this uh, discussion about uh, the centre of, or the hotbed of Polish football being the city of Lwów, which is now... Uh, known by its Ukrainian name, Lviv, uh, which is obviously a Ukrainian city. Obviously, during, uh, before the Second World War, it was a Polish city. It was in, it was in, in the Polish borders. Uh, and that was where the first Polish clubs were established. Uh, you had uh, Charny Lvov, you had Lechia Lvov, you had Pogon Lvov, who were the three big uh, early clubs in in Polish football, not just in Lwów as well. You you had uh, several other clubs, uh, places like Stanisławów uh, or Brest, or um, there's one I I talk about in my book uh, called Junak Drohobic, uh, who have an absolutely fascinating history. But all of those after the Second World War, their borders of Poland were shifted dramatically westward. And all of those clubs were no longer, or all of those cities and towns were no longer in Poland. So those clubs just disappeared. All of the so, people... So what you're basically saying is, is that there is more Polish uh, forgotten football clubs, but they're not necessarily under the Polish name at the moment. They would probably be under, say, Ukraine or... or it's if possible. It's... Well, it's possible, yeah. They're, they're just the sheer amount of clubs that, you know, as you can imagine, if if the country's borders are moved so dramatically 
Um, that a lot of these clubs, for example, Pogon Lwów, who were in the in the 1920s probably the biggest Polish club, uh, they won the national championship before it was the league in in its league structure. I think it was four times. Um, obviously, as soon as the borders were moved, uh, a lot of well, <laughs> I say a lot of them. The majority of people in though who lived in those regions were forced to to move over and relocate into areas such as Silesia, which which was taken from Germany uh, and and effectively gifted in effectively gifted to Poland. Uh, and a lot of those clubs were not re-established as such, but new clubs were formed um, with bearing similarities or, or bearing reference to those clubs that were lost. So some of the some of the big ones, Pogon Szczecin now, who who are currently in the top flight, uh, a lot of their early heritage came from Pogon Lwów. Uh, there's clubs like Polonia Bitum, who who are in uh, the southern town of Bitum. That's um, Again, they they take their inspiration from uh, Pogon Lvov, uh, Lechia Gdansk, or another one. Uh, some of their influences comes from Lechia Lvov. So, yeah, the, there was just this whole dramatic geopolitical shift, and just not just clubs, but towns and people just disappeared and were moved and shifted. So, yeah, you know, I mean. I- I'll tell you this that like so if you go on to the internet, uh, Google, uh, Google say Polish defunct clubs, uh, you won't find any of the clubs that you spoke about there. But if you go into Ukrainian uh, defunct clubs, you will find them all in that list in the Ukrainian list. So that's probably where why it's probably seems like there's very few Polish clubs, uh, forgotten football clubs. Yeah, you know they're probably hidden in other countries like Ukraine here. I, I'm sure there's definitely more, but it has 111 clubs, uh, uh, forgot, forgotten football clubs or defunct clubs as they're, as they're down as on the internet, whereas Poland only has 26. But if you went around all them kind of borders and stuff like that, you'd probably pick out way more Polish clubs, pro- drag them back in, if you, if, you mean, if, if you know what I mean, and you'd yeah. probably get a higher number. Because, yeah. of the, because of the amount of displacement and, and the dramatic shift in the borders that, that Ryan mentioned, though, not just for Poland, but that entire sort of region of Central to Eastern Europe, there's probably a number of clubs, maybe even a couple within Poland as well, that belong to other former countries or nations or, or regions that, that, that aren't here anymore. So. Well, you know, you, you look at, I mean, I, I didn't even mention, you've got areas of what is now Lithuania. Uh, so Vilnius, sure. for example, Absolutely. was previously Vilno in, in Poland. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, it wasn't just that, Poland lost land, they gained land from Germany as well. Uh, so places like uh, Lower Silesia, uh, pl- places like Wrocław now, uh, Wrocław was, was previously, uh, it was Breslau in, in Germany. So uh, play, I mean, you, you have some clubs that, that were lost uh, in Poland. So you had Katowice, which, is, which was sort of on the border. Historically, over the years, it's been part of Germany and Poland. In the 1920s, it was effectively... Uh, given I, I say given it was it was declared as part of Poland, but there there were German minority clubs in the region. Uh, uh, Katowice uh, is is a big one. They uh they they I think they did reestablish uh, a few years ago uh, as a sort of homage. They were I don't think they're um minority or or they're German majority club anymore. Um, but but yeah, that there there is a lot of um almost it's it's almost in 
established, re-established in a nostalgic way. Um, but just just purely because of the the massive geopolitical shifts in those regions. And and one thing as well, I go back to you know a lot of these clubs when even the Polish clubs when they were first established, there there was no Poland. So yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you just had so many clubs. Warta Poznan, one of the first Polish clubs that it was, they were a German, they were a Polish club within Germany. Um, all the both the Wuj clubs, uh, LKS Wuj and Widzew Wuj, they were they were in the Russian Empire when they were established. Obviously, we've mentioned the Krakow clubs, the Lviv clubs, various many more, which were yeah. Austro-Hungarian clubs. So. Yeah, it's it's just a complicated and and the, yeah, I I can imagine there are hundreds, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were, uh, you know, not not big clubs, but there were thousands of clubs that were lost um and and you know disappeared somewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing that I wanted to ask you just before we move on, just a quick one, uh, before we move on to our, our last part on on kind of post football today, um, if you were to pick one lost club from Poland or one story from Polish football history which one would you pick tell us a little bit about it. there are so many um I mean in terms of a lost club uh, Pogon Love of to me um they were one of the first that that I uh, was researching when I when I wrote the book I wrote an article years and years ago about one player in particular who played for them called Vatswav Kucha mm-hmm. um and and he was in he was one of the first Polish internationals, but he was also a champion speed skater. He was an ice hockey oh, player. Um, so he, uh, I think he was an athlete as well. He was a, a track athlete as well. Um, so he was one of the first ones that um, I sort of fell in love with his story a little bit. But uh, but another one as well. Um, and again, he's he was sort of lost to history um, a little bit. Is uh, is a player called Ernest Wilimowski. Mm-hmm. So Wilimowski was um, ger- born to German parents. Uh, his father was killed in the in the First World War uh, as a German soldier. He was born in Ka- what was Katowice, uh, but became Katowice uh, in in Poland, and he effectively took Polish citizenship. Uh, played for Ruch, what is now Ruch Horzów, um, and he scored. And a massive amount of goals for them in in the nineteen uh, thirties. He was the top. He was the top scorer for about five years in a row. Um, scored ten goals in one game, uh, one time. Uh, he was Polish. I think he. I think he scored twenty two goals in twenty one games for the Polish national team. If I've got that. If if I've got that stat correct. Not bad at all. Um. Uh. But then during the war, uh, to avoid being drafted and and to avoid being uh sent to a camp i suppose um he he took german citizenship again mm. uh and ended up turning out for the german national team during during the war uh and effectively became a bit of a traitor in poland or, or regarded as a traitor um it's actually funny for... you say that because i actually was going to lead into something uh, quite similar to this uh more modern times but uh yeah uh, that sounds intriguing. Um, and I was going to ask you about that, right? Because obviously there's been high-profile players who are Polish who have gone on to play for Germany. Now, I can only assume it's kind of like when Irish players go play for England. So Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, that kind of that kind of uh, carry on. The players that I'm talking about, obviously, and you'll know them, uh, Podolski, uh, obviously won 
uh, and uh, closer. Closer was Polish as well, wasn't he? Yes, so yes, what, he was. is that seen as traitor? Uh, are they seen as traitors uh, to Poland? Not so much them. I, th- I think the difference is um, with with the likes of Podolski and Closer, they they were effectively, although they weren't born in Germany, they were effectively grew up in Germany. They were uh, Podolski moved to to uh, Cologne when he was about three or four, if I remember. Uh, Miroslav Closer, his father uh, Josef uh, was was a football player as well. He played for. Auxerre in France uh, and obviously settled in Germany as well. So although they have Polish heritage and, and, and you know, they, they were born in Poland or whatever, um, they're, they're, they aren't necessarily seen as Polish as such. Podolski is a bit different now. He's he's returned to Poland. Uh, he actually plays for my team, Gornik Zabrze. Uh So I, I actually met him a few weeks, uh, a few months ago oh, no. uh, whilst he's playing cool. out there. Um but yeah, so he's I'm not going to say he's a traitor. Then. <laughs> nah, but I think they've. They, I don't think they've ever really lost their um, mm. uh, their link to Poland. I think uh, Podolski in particular has always been very adamant. He wanted to play for Gornik Zabrze and he wanted to return to Poland and end his career in Poland. Uh, and he, you know, he lives in the same town I, I, where where he was born. Um, he's got family in Poland still, so yeah, he's never he, lost. He's never lost that connection. Podolski, um, he just seems like the ultimate Polish player. He just, he just seems like he always was meant to play for Poland, but uh, obviously he, he chose to play for Germany, and and that's what he went to do. Uh, and I always just felt that, you know, maybe maybe there was a bit of bitterness. But obviously you're after uh, this this uh, disproving that myth, and he's obviously back in Poland now and giving back uh, to to the to the town or the village that he's from, which is good to hear. Yeah, I think as as I said before, I think they they're players who grew up in Germany and and never sort of lost sight of their the fact that they were Polish. Uh, so so not that they're given a free pass or anything, but you know, you know they've maintained that link with Poland. Whereas Wilimowski, who I've who I've previously mentioned, the fact that he grew up in Poland, uh, he he played for Poland. He he you know he was the star of Polish football, and then. During a very difficult time, you know, we have to say during a time where if he hadn't have uh, taken German citizenship, he would have been persecuted. Uh, you know, we ha- we do have to remember that's the story behind it. There's but... that context as well. Where the, yeah. You know, you know, there's there's a story about his mother, I think, was sent. Uh, she was actually sent to um, one of the concentration camps uh, and due to his status and his contact, he was he was able to get her out of one of the concentration camps. So, you know, it's taking German citizenship, it, I'm sure it wouldn't have been done lightly, but, you know, it, in a way, it's hard to say it was the wrong thing for him to do. That's the thing that the, the source we can see sitting in the future looking back and all this, when yeah. you're living under it, then you're going to do anything to save your family. And, and you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't the only only player as well. There, there were no, no. numerous others, particularly in the read, region. Um, uh, have you read The Defiant by... I've, yeah, by Chris Lee. Chris Lee, yeah, fantastic book, and it touches on a lot of things that you've just mentioned there. Um, what football players done to save the other people, as well. Yeah. Um, the types of things that they've done to 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 help other people who were really really suffering, um, under fascism and and other different regimes, particularly in Germany. And I, I don't think he covered Poland in a chapter, but he did he did mention it quite heavily. And I think a lot of that, 
that he mentioned in the chapter on Italy, especially um, with a, a lot of players doing kind of similar things. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a really, really fascinating thing to look into the, the, the actions that people done and, and how they used football as a means to uh, oppose fascism. Of course, there was all, also people who used it to, to prop it up. Um, yeah. But the more impressive stories by far are those who, who, who opposed it, certainly. Yeah. Um, moving on, just quickly, we'll we'll touch on Polish football in the modern day. Now, I think where my fascination with Polish football has come from is that across the last maybe 20 or so years, um, my club Celtic have a really, really good affiliation with Polish players, for better or worse. Um, oh. I think one of the first Polish players to play for Celtic was um, was J- Jekinowski, I think. Yeah, Darius Jekinowski. But that was back in 1991, and then that was followed by um, Vodzic, but... Vodzic, yeah. There's, there's been a whole host of Polish players at Celtic. I, I was uh, I was doing something uh, quite recently and just in going through the list, and you almost forget some of the players that, that actually played for Celtic. Well, that's the yeah. thing, because I'm, I'm sure there was I'm sure there were Polish players at Celtic before then, but those players I, didn't, I wasn't able to experience because I, I wasn't actually born yet. Um, Zirowski, the first Polish player that I remember at Celtic uh, probably didn't it wasn't as great as it could have been um, I quite liked him at the time just because I was in high school um, Arthur Boric of course absolute yep. legend um, but kind of went from a cult hero to, to, to an actual legend at the club you had Zaluska as well goalkeeper yep. um, Brozek who didn't really get a say Brozek. Patrick Klamala who I really yeah. rated I always said there's something there's something here with him. There's something here and I really want him to succeed, but it, it just never happened and, and he moved to America. And and more recently, um he's just coming back from injury, Mike Norovke. I'm very, very yeah. excited to see because when he started here this summer, he looked absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh Poland has obviously had a, quite a lot of exports uh, over the last well really since the fall of communism it's it's you know before before the fall of communism players weren't really allowed to leave until they were in the latter stage of their career um and and once the doors were opened uh in the in the early 90s there's been this steady steadily increasing stream of polish players coming out and until we're at a point today where you look at it and there's there's very few players in the national team who who still play their trade in poland Mm. Um, and, and you know some of those players that you've mentioned, they're they're not even the big stars. You no, know they're, they're players no. who who are not even even on the fringes of the national team. Players like Klimala, who you know, and and it's just clubs are looking to Poland now as a, and it's not even so such a cheap place to go now. Um, you know you see transfer values steadily creeping up for Polish players. Um, you know before it was a bit of an untapped resource, and and clubs would would head over to places like Poland and and snap up players uh for a bit of a bargain but that that seems to be happening less and less now. Well, it was but, the, the it would have been the emerging market I suppose for a while. Yeah. Whereas whereas now it's it's not so much. Um there still is obviously an element and you can still pick up um some very good players for a reasonable transfer fit and you would look at players like Navrotsky as as one of those uh but but Poland has a steady stream. Um, they've always had a, a, a quite a steady stream of goalkeepers. Poland has always been renowned for its goalkeepers, even going back to the 70s and players like Jan Tomaszewski, 
um Josef Munarchik in the in the 80s who who won the European Cup with Porto um but but yeah going even more recently players like Borots uh Szczesny, Fabianski yeah. Uh, Kuszczak, uh, who played for obviously Manchester United. You've got uh, Skorupski and uh, um, Drongovski who playing in Italy at the moment. Um, I think uh, it was. Got... Um, I remember. I remember watching Ireland against Poland uh, a few years ago. It was in Crow Park, and the Polish fans made uh, a bit of a racket, um, to say the least. But I remember watching. I can't remember. It was either. I think it was Fabianski or Szczesny, but one of them, and he was. Possibly the smallest goalkeeper I ever saw. Uh, uh, for a goalkeeper, he was very, very small. No, he quite good, but he was very, very small. Which one would that have been? Is it Fabianski or? or I would Shetty? imagine it would have been Fabianski. Yeah, I think it was. I, I think it was Fabianski. But yeah, I mean, Poland, like I say, is that their goalkeeping school? You even look at some of the youngsters now um, coming through uh, and. You know, there, there's some real talent, but but obviously you just look at players like Lewandowski, Zielinski, mm-hmm. um, and it's almost a um, not that you don't realize these players are Polish, but you don't really realize how many good players Poland has had in the last uh, decade, fifteen years, um, but they just haven't necessarily translated that into success. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, in your opinion, have have Poland? Uh, I suppose with with a player like Lewandowski up top, uh, you know, you're always always expecting something magic or or from to carry carry them. Do you think they've underperformed on the international stage? It's yes, uh, it's hard to argue against that. Um, but. I don't think I think Poland rely I do think Poland rely on Lewandowski too much and they have relied on Lewandowski for the past 10 years uh, and that has been a large part of their problem you know they've had they've had great players they've had strong players they've had a decent team but it was only really in 2016 where where we actually saw the best of Poland at the Euros mm. uh, where they reached the quarterfinals uh, and lost on uh, they lost on penalties to Portugal um they are Poland have had I would say three golden generations within little air quotes there um they've had the 74 team which got to third in the world we had the 82 team which got to third in the world and the golden generation probably peaked around 2016 but it just couldn't match what those two previous generations did uh but but Polish football has over the last few years, it has been on that little bit of a decline, particularly around the national team. Uh, it just didn't, it didn't reach those uh, those heights that that it could have perhaps reached. And we're seeing players like Lewandowski get older. Uh, the spine of the team, players like uh, Kamil Glick, uh, Grzegorz Krikowiak, who who have just been on that steady decline. Uh, and now it's. It, there are a lot of good young players in Poland. There are a lot of good players in their twenties, the likes of Zielinski, the likes of Milik. Uh, but it just it, it just doesn't have that same strength as it had a few years ago. Does it does it say a lot when um so for example, Matty Cash uh obviously doesn't sound like a Polish name. Uh he has been drafted in, obviously he has Polish descent and stuff like that, so he, he's there um because you know he, he can be. But does that say a lot about where Polish football is at at the moment 
that you are looking a little bit more outward like that rather than, you know, in your own league or, or more kind of direct? I, th- I think it does say a little bit, but it's not something that's completely new to Polish football. Mm. You go back 20 years and when uh, uh, <laughs> the player with the most Polish name that I know, uh, I say sarcastically, Emmanuel Elisadebi, um, <laughs> who was born in Nigeria, <laughs> I think it was. Um, it, you know, it's it's not a new thing for Poland. Mm. You, you go back to 2012, there was, I think, in the 20 Euro 2012 squad, I think it was three players. I think you had... Um, you had Ludovic Abraniak, you had Eugene Polanski, who was German, although he, he had got the Polish sounding name. And you had, and I've, oh, I've forgotten his name. So you had a centre-back as well. Uh, I can picture his face, but I can't remember his name. But And, and there was a whole debate over it at the time, whether um, uh, you know that was the right thing for, for Polish football to do. But, but you look at how many Polish people have left Poland uh, in the last... 40 50 mm. 60 70 years even I and and there, there well. is just this whole That's polish diaspora who live across the world and, and matty cash is one of those i mean i i say it i mean look ireland ireland do it all the time we we go looking for players in england uh the granny rule as they call it and stuff like that yeah. it is a debate that that gets brought up in ireland i'm just wondering if it's because we we spoke about earlier in the show about nationalism and stuff like that and it, it, a lot of polish clubs and polish fans are like that um so i'm just wondering is it is it something that they look at in the Polish national team when they look at it, that they feel that you no, know, our players need to be Polish, born in Poland, and 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 that's that. Or is it a bit more more than that? I think it's there is an element of that, and that, that there has historically been that element that it you know it should be players born in Poland, um, from Poland with a Polish name, and and probably more so amongst an older generation, um, who have only mm. ever really you know during the during the communist period, perhaps, you know, you, you often hear things from some of the old uh, Polish team from the seventies and eighties who are very adamant that that, that should be the case. Um, But as I said, now it's, it's a completely different thing. The the Polish football association has a a scouting department that is pretty much dedicated to finding Polish players abroad. Uh, They they have, they have um, scouts in England, uh, just purely looking at young you know, so even down to the age of 10, 11, 12 year olds who perhaps have a, a Polish sounding name uh, and, and they dig into it and find out if they have Polish background and Polish parents. And, and, that's, and that's, get... that's the thing. And, and just when you mentioned the, the diaspora there as well, it's what all clubs do. I mean, Scotland, there's, there's no players off the top of my head that, you know, they, they don't have a Scottish sound in it. I'm not bothered about that. And, and I don't think many people are. If they're willing to turn out for the country, then, then they're welcomed with open arms. Um, it's a couple of clubs that I can think of in Scotland. Um, and there's one in the Inverness and District League called Polonia FC. I'm not sure if they're uh, an amateur side, maybe in the juniors now. Um, there's FC Polonia in Glasgow who are an amateur team, and there's also a a, a Polish futsal team in Dundee. So the 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 diaspora here are really 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 good at, at forming their teams and, and playing and making themselves known, which is great. I think off the top of my head, there's only one Scottish player that's played in the top flight of Poland. Uh, Barry, Barry Douglas. Douglas. Barry Douglas. He's still Barry playing Douglas. there with Lech Poznan. Is he? Is he still playing? Oh, he, wow. he he left. He left and he went back. 
So he left. He left a few years ago, and then he went. He went back a few years ago. So yeah, he's still with Alec Posner. Um, no, yeah. you had um, you had Ziggy Gordon as well. Who? Sorry, Ziggy Gordon. Oh my God, Ziggy Gordon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Z- I, I believe his um, I believe his his Ziggy. I believe is short for Zygmunt. I think yeah, he's he's got he's he's got Polish heritage. I'm sure. I just yeah. I remember Ziggy Gordon because I, I remember he, I think he was at Hamilton in 2016, 17, maybe 17, 18. And it was just, it was an absolute bastard of a player. Uh, just real, real hammer-throwing thug. And, you know, they're the types of players you hate to play against, but you love it when they're in your team. God, I thought he'd retired as well. I didn't realise he was playing in Poland. Uh, he's not He's not playing there anymore. He played uh, there a few okay. years ago. Uh, I mean, from an Irish point of view, you had Killian Sheridan as well, who was at Jagiellonia Białystok. Obviously, he was at Celtic as well. Yeah, he was. So, um, we've well, talked about Killian Sheridan a lot of times on this uh, <laughs> uh, uh, podcast. Well, it's, it's funny he can't get brought up because he's um, he's just signed for Inverness today. Oh, uh, oh brought him deal to to January. Uh, obviously, been dealing with injury problems over the last while. And one story that I like that, that kind of links um, Scotland and Poland as well is in, is from 1971. It's when Hamilton Academical were at the bottom of the second division or third division. They had a they had a chairman called Jan Stapek. I think Ryan knows the story that I'm going to talk about here. Um, and they brought some of the first Polish footballers to Scotland. Um, want to have a guess, Phil, at what the transfer fee was for three Polish internationals at that time period? Going to Hamilton, Aki's mind. What was the time period? 1971. Three grand. <laughs> Okay. Nope. So the the correct answer is uh, a whole host of washing machines and other electrical equipment. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Hamilton, the Hamilton chairman uh, had a lot of connections within Poland and uh, a, a huge network over there. And he knew a lot of businessmen as well. Um, and I think he arranged a couple of business deals so that he would, you know, give them electrical equipment and other things. And then um, the, the three players would come in and play for Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in in relation to Polish players playing in Ireland, there's been uh, in League of Ireland, there's been about thirteen of them. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce their names <laughs> because uh, their their names are quite. Uh, I'll I'll give you one. Uh, Peter Suski played for Waterford. Suski, Suski, yeah. Uh, Lucas Skolman, Skolan, sorry, played for the club Ice Award St Patrick's Athletic. Um, Christian Nowak, he's quite well known actually. He played for Bowes. I think he still plays for Bowes at the moment. Um, Michael Sadis plays for Cove Ramblers. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean that that's uh, Yaroslav Bialik played for Pats as well. I think he's a goalkeeper actually. I know he's I know he's not in the League of Ireland. Is um is Sammy Sammy Smodix is he put? Oh no, he's Hungarian. Sorry, Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, no. So thirteen, thirteen. Pol- I mean, there's a lot of Polish over here in Ireland, um, as well. So uh, I, I, I'd assume that the Polish FA have their scouts here, um. But uh, I mean, at this point, we take them, <laughs> um, because the the Irish national team is uh not exactly doing well. Um, huge, I suppose we- there's a huge Polish community in in Lanarkshire as well, particularly in uh, Bells Hill, Motherwell, and and uh, Wishaw. Uh, I know, know a, a, a few people just through friends and stuff, all great people. Um, well, I think cooking yeah, uh, uh, and uh, making is absolutely phenomenal. Well, I think uh, you mentioned Rory about the um the the players for Ham- uh, Hamilton Academical. Uh, Alfred Olick was one of them. Uh, so he was um 
part of the I, I did mention earlier the Gornik Zabja team that that reached the European Cup final, uh, the the Cup Winners Cup final. He he played in that uh, Cup Winners Cup uh, campaign. So yeah, yeah, it was um, one of the strange uh, transfers, as you said, but but yeah. not not unknown, not unheard of. Uh, no, no, not Casemiro. No, Dana was was obviously the, the legendary Casemiro Dana, who's uh, captain of the '74 World Cup team. Uh, um, he he was transferred from Legia Warsaw to Manchester City for, I think, part of his transfer fee was photocopying equipment. Um, there you go. It's just one of those things that's um, for 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 a lot of the the, the former communist countries. Sometimes these are the, the types of deals that um that had to be done. Yeah. Um. I mean, Ryan. Uh. I suppose going going into that there, uh, you, you spoke about the Polish team getting to the European uh, Cup final. Uh. Current Polish clubs. Um. We know a few of them are playing tonight in the Europa League. Um, you know, Polish clubs sometimes make an appearance in the Champions League. Not not, not often enough, in, in my opinion. Um, obviously, we have the Europa Conference League now. That, not that, very often, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, which, which has uh, now produced a kind of gateway for, we always say smaller nations, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't particularly put Poland in as a smaller nation or a smaller footballing nation. Um, where do you see... Polish clubs uh, competing in Europe in the next couple of years. Um, do you see them getting back to a standing? I mean, uh, the only reason you had last year, obviously the first uh, ever time they won it, um, what what are they called? Rad, 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 uh, Rad, Rad, Rad of Czestochowa. Yeah, that, so, that was their first ever win. So how do you think these clubs are going to do in Europe? So I think uh, when when I answered your questions originally in regards to the book, you did ask uh, the question about uh, mm. what would be I, th- I think it was something like what would be a successful, yeah. you know, for, for Polish clubs in Europe. And my my answer was if they could get two Polish clubs into European competition, we consider that a success. And and we've had that this year. Um, right. We had Rakov, who were very close, in all honesty, to getting into the Champions League uh, and lost that to Copenhagen, uh, but made it into the Europa League and and Legia Warsaw, who were in the Conference League. So. It, it it already has been one of the most successful seasons really since I've been following Polish football, purely for the fact that they've had two clubs in and that and that's I think that's only happened once or twice uh in the sort of the last 14, 15 years. Um so already it's a successful season. We've as you mentioned, those, those clubs are playing as we or have been playing as we've been recording. Uh mm. Rakov got their first point uh this this evening um against sporting, sporting from Portugal. Uh, and uh, Legia, I think they've just, I think I've just seen it flash up and say they've beaten Zurinski Mostar uh, two two one. So they're on six oh. points uh, in, in after three games, uh, having beaten Aston Villa. So um, if Rakov can somehow finish third in their Europa League group and drop down to the Conference League, that that would be a massive success for them. Uh, I think I think a measure of any club in Pol- uh, any Polish club in Europe is if they can still be in Europe after Christmas. That's a pretty that that's pretty good going. Um, so for Legia to be on six points, they've they've got a good shot at that now. Uh, and and if Rakov can somehow pick up a win and 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 finish in third place, that'd be a massive massive achievement for them. As you mentioned, it's the first time they've ever won the league. It's the first time yeah. they've ever been in Europe. It's you know I think it was five or six years ago that they're regarded as the Polish Leicester, the Polish Leicester City. Right. And I, okay. I say that. And I say that being a Leicester City fan as well, because I'm from Leicester. So, oh, um, so, but but they are seen, 
you know, seven, the year that Leicester won the Premier League, which is only seven years ago, mm-hmm. they were in the third tier of Polish football. Wow. Um, I actually, uh, I actually, uh, Ryan, I actually backed Leicester to win that at 1,500 <laughs> to one. I had oh, two wow. euros. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan and the story goes quickly. I went into the bookies. Your mom was a United fan. And I said, put a 10 on Liverpool. And he said, you might as well back Leicester. And I said, all right, here's two euro. And uh, the 1,500 to one. And uh, they went on. I actually have a Leicester jersey because of it. Uh, and I went out and had a, a variety party and all that kind of life. So that was a great win. So I got, I got it was myself, so fun Leicester. I got myself a jersey as well. I, I won a little bit. I say a little bit. I won quite a bit of money on on Leicester as well. Um, when the when the odds were a bit better. Oh well, don't <laughs> don't worry because I think I think when we had about three games left, I I still thought we'd screw it up, and I put a bet on Tottenham to win the league. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a big number. fan, and and I remember the run in to, to the end of that season was was absolutely hilarious. Just seeing. I think because the game day, the game that Leicester won the league was it a two all draw with Spurs. Or was two all draws. Oh, it was Chelsea against Spurs. Chelsea yeah. against Spurs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. But, uh, um, just, just one final question, Ryan. Um, so obviously you said uh, Rackland are are the Leicester. Uh, are the big boys going to come back this year? Are they are they are they coming back stronger? Are they going to make sure that that's not going to happen again? Or are we seeing a new a new dawn, if you like? Uh, it's, we've had a similar dawn a few years ago with a club called Piasklavica who won the league for, their, for the first time in their history as well. So, uh, you know, it's not unheard of to see these clubs sort of establish themselves. I think Rakov have got a very solid foundation for, for a, shall we say, a smaller club. Um, but you would inevitably expect the big boys, the the Legia Warsaw's, the Lech Poznan's to, to, you know, fight their way back. Legia Warsaw have been pretty good this season um although they were beaten quite heavily at the weekend um you know they they normally normally when you see a polish club in europe uh they tend to sacrifice their league form um particularly in the early stages of the season and and by which point it's it's difficult for them to catch up uh but we haven't seen that with legia this year they they've managed to fight on more than one front uh which has uh, obviously puts them in good standing for the rest of the season now. So, so I, in all honesty, I would expect Legia to to. I would expect them to win the league, or I would definitely expect them to be up there. Um, you know that that's pretty much a given. But yeah, it's if Rakov can maintain that they they've had a good solid few seasons. It's not it's not just that as though they're one season wonders. They've they've won Polish cups back to back. Uh, and obviously the league last season as well. So the last three seasons, they've been sort of establishing themselves. Um, still as a smaller club, they they risk losing their players. They've lost players this uh, this past summer. Uh, again, some of them to Legia, uh, the, uh, you know, more traditional, bigger clubs. But, but I think they have got enough in them. That they've lost their coach this year. Uh, so the coach guided them, Marek Papshin, his name is, he, he guided them from the third tier to the title, uh, to the league title. Um, and he uh, won the title and um, resigned and basically didn't renew his contract. And it, But they've been pretty, um, they've managed to have some continuity. They've, they've brought his assistant in as his replacement. So so there is an element of continuity there and that looks to have put them in good stead. And they're, they're doing pretty decent um, at this point, although perhaps not as, uh, not as good as they did last year. So, so you know, hopefully Polish football does have this element of up and down. Although we've seen Legia Warsaw win the league quite a lot of times 
over the last decade. Um, you do get these these clubs who appear out of nowhere every now and then, and you you have the sort of the famous names like the Lech Poznans who who mm. do pop up every now and then with a the league title and, and do quite well in Europe every now and then. So and and just on them, I have one more question: Where did that Poznan dance come from? That celebration. Where, where is, <laughs> so I don't think so. From my understanding, and it was uh, God, we're talking what twelve years ago when when it sort of uh, came Book to up. prominence. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of a. I've seen. I've not just seen Let Poznan do it. I've seen lots of Polish clubs do it. It just obviously took on the name Poznan because the Man City fans saw the Let Poznan fans doing it. Really, okay. But if I remember at the time, now I, I may have this wrong, but basically it was they. I believe they were they were pretty annoyed with and I think it goes back to what I was saying about teams not um if they're in Europe they're not performing too well in the league. Um uh, at the time I believe they were in Europe uh, obviously in the uh, it was the Europa League wasn't it? Um but they weren't doing too well in the league at the time. So it was a way they were trying to show a bit of support but turn the back away from the pitch almost uh, and that was that was what I'd heard at the time. So it wasn't a goal celebration as such they were just doing it throughout the match. And, and I may have that slightly wrong, obviously, with it being more than a decade ago. But but yeah, and then obviously the uh, the Man City fans picked up on it and uh, turned it into a bit of a goal celebration. Well, that's the thing, because we, we do it as well, but we call it the, the huddle. Yeah. So it's the same premise, you know. Um, Ryan, this this has been a fantastic episode, mate. I mean, it's very, very clear, you know, your stuff, your rhyming stuff off the top of your head, like I've never seen before with, with, with people doing similar subjects, uh, myself included. It's, it's incredibly admirable. It's, it's some of the stuff that you've told us tonight, some of the knowledge that you've got, the fact that you're, you're writing your second book about it, you've already got a book out. Um, it's clear that, 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 that you know Polish football inside and out, uh, the history of it, the, the, the kind of current state of Polish football. So thank you so much for coming on and, and helping us through with this episode because um, you've added a, a, a huge amount of value to it and, and I, I hope all of our listeners have, have enjoyed the listen as well. And one thing that, that we do ask all of our interviewees just before we, we finish off for the night, uh, Phil, do you want to ask, actually, because um, I, I, I'd normally get mixed up and, and fuck it up, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so... I think I asked you this in the book as well, uh, Ryan. Who is your favourite uh, Polish player? And uh, who is the best ever Polish player that you've Oof. ever seen? Wow. So being a Leicester City fan, and and to be honest, it was even probably before he, he even signed for Leicester City, uh, given his history and his uh, um, his past as a player, is, is Marcin Wasilewski. Um so I don't know if you know a lot about Vashlevsky, but uh, he was um, he Polish national team centre-back. Uh, I, I used to play as a defender myself, so there's always that affinity there. Um, but in I, I can't remember the year, but he was playing for Anderlecht and he got his leg absolutely snapped in half by Axel Witzel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and right. just his, the way he came back from that um I think they said, oh, you you know, there's a potential that you might not play again. And he was back in about six months. And the same season, he was lifting the uh, the league title with Anderlecht, which is just unbelievable. And then he went and signed for Leicester as well. Um, so that was when that happened, that that absolutely made my year. Um, so, yeah, I would say he's probably my favourite Polish player of all time. Um, uh, just uh, of players that I've seen, uh, particularly. Um, in terms of the best player in Polish history um, 
there are so many good ones. Um, we've mentioned Kazimierz Dana. We've mentioned uh, Zbigniew Boniek, uh, who who were the two, you know, the iconic players in Polish history. Um, one of my favourites, though, I would have to say, being uh, a fan of Gornik Zabrze, um, that. I don't know if you can see on my video this this shirt here is a Gornik Zabrze shirt. Yeah, um, I've been I've been admiring it all my <laughs> both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that they, they had a player called Włodzimierz Lubanski. Okay. Uh, he was a striker. He scored the uh, winning goal against Manchester United in that 1968 uh, quarterfinal. Um, although they lost on uh, they lost two one on aggregate. Um. But he was uh, the star striker in the 19, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s. Uh, and just he, he scored the two goals um, where England were beaten uh, in Poland. Uh, they were beaten 2-0. Uh, and he was the star striker who, who would have led them to um, potential World Cup glory in 1974 had he not um, been injured in that game against uh, England and and ended up missing the tournament completely. Mm. Um, but he was an absolutely fantastic striker um, yeah. who who didn't he, you know he was he was the star of Polish football during that seventies and he just isn't part of that that famous team just purely yeah. because he was injured and he missed out on that. Um, and then when he finally did get his chance at the World Cup four years later, Poland had. Um, we're going through a bit of a internal crisis, and uh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, he never, he never quite uh, achieved what he perhaps should have achieved. Hmm. Well, I mean, those are absolutely fantastic answers as well. I'm sure the listeners would have enjoyed those, um, particularly the the story with um, the lesser player. Maybe we're going to try and pronounce his name because I'll, I'll I'll butcher it. But um, it's a beautiful story in itself. I, I actually seen a photo of that Vitzel tackle yesterday. I think. Yeah, yeah, because we we were playing Atletico Madrid yesterday, and it, and it came up on Twitter, um, just because that's the type of team that they are, and the type of players that they have on board. Ryan, is there anything that you want to ask myself or Phil just before we sign off for the evening? Oh, well, I wasn't expecting to. Um, <laughs> there isn't anything that I can think of. Um, that's cool. That's all right, man. No, I mean, it's, I'm I'm quite intrigued about your sort of um, thoughts on Polish football yourself, really, because um, I I always part of my reason for writing the book that I wrote was to try and get people interested into Polish football and try and get them to. Uh, I, I think I mentioned at the end of it, if it just if if reading my book gives gets one person to take an interest in Polish football or to even just pick up a Polish beer or speak to their Polish neighbour, um, you know, then it's worth it. So, yeah, yeah. My, I'm just sort of intrigued as to what you so, have, what your thoughts are on Poland and Polish football. I suppose te- 10 years ago, if you'd asked me that, my thoughts on Polish football would have been Legion Warsaw and nothing else because that's all that I would have known through football. Now, obviously, I know a number of the other teams um, enjoy looking into the, the other teams that still kind of come through European competition. That's my main That's my main look into Polish football teams, not Polish football. Um, would love to watch a few games in Poland if there's anywhere that I can do so online. Um, as I was saying to you earlier on, what fascinates me about it is the kind of uh, historical, social, political aspects of that um, revolving around heritage and identity. But... Um, 
you know, I've seen photographs, I've seen videos of some of the fan displays and, and things like that, and it looks absolutely incredible. Just a shame that I've never watched a game, but again, if there's somewhere that, that I would be able to, then I, then I certainly would, um, because you, you've sold it to me quite well this evening, and I'm sure a number of our other listeners would agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same. Uh, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, probably Leggy Warsaw, um, Poznan, obviously, Um I would have only known Polish clubs from from you know playing FIFA and stuff like that, uh, Krakowia and and Wisla and stuff like that. Um, but just the, the the big thing that I always take away from Polish fans uh, is the um just the how fanatical they are, how passionate they are. Uh, anytime you see them, their displays, um, how you know they turn up in their numbers and stuff like that. Um, and they just look like they love their football. Um. So it, it it always kind of when it, when I kind of had to choose Polish football clubs, it kind of uh, I was kind of a bit not nervous about it, but I kind of I, I I was kind of like right. I don't want to tread on anybody's toes here, um, because I know that they'd probably be passionate about even a football club that had gone by the wayside. So, um, but definitely hundred uh, percent. You've definitely educated uh, myself and of course already and hopefully our listeners uh, on Polish football, right? Well, if you ever are ever interested in going to watch a game of Polish football and you're traveling over to Poland, then get in touch and I'll do whatever I can to help you out. Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's it's well worth it. The atmosphere is amazing. It's you know the food is great. It's it's just a brilliant place to go. I you know I'm obviously biased, but but yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna say happy to help out. Something we'll need to add to the year to the list for next year, Phil. I mean, to be fair, you've been doing a a lot more than me just because it. You know, job changes and and a couple other things that, that have happened in my personal life. Not being able to do any any football traveling towards the the end of this year, but next year, um, that's I'd, I'd certainly love to. Poland's a country I've always wanted to visit as well. And if any of our listeners would like to go to Poland and watch a game, um, you can get in touch with us and we can put you in touch with Ryan, or you know, you can go over yourselves. Uh, it's a beautiful country, lots of beautiful historical sites, castles, um, and great football, great food great beer as well it's just yeah. a really really fantastic place but uh, we have been talking non-stop for the best part of about an hour and 50 an hour and 40 minutes hour and 45 minutes now mm. so i think it's about time we got up the road and got into bed um because it's well past my bedtime and i need to be up quite early in the morning so thank you very much again for listening to all of our listeners obviously we've had a bit of a break uh, from the the kind of main run of episodes so um you know, the, the, this will be us kind of running on to the, to the end of them until we're finished, uh, probably coinciding with the with Christmas time in the new year. Um, so thank you very much for bearing with us while we, we kind of got through that wee spell there. As usual, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we've also got our blog spot up and running fully. There's content going up on that every single day at the moment. Some fantastic articles from the bloggers, Chris, Dave, Vincent, um, Christian, um, just so much going out and we're uploading stuff from our archives and our old blog as well so please do keep an eye on that of course you can listen to this episode on spotify and apple as per usual i think that's me just about hit every single social media is there anything that i've missed phil yeah no no not at all oh yeah buy the book (laughs) Uh, buy the book always forget buy the book um so yeah come and speak to us on twitter we're always happy to speak to people uh, who enjoy our content if you if there's something that you want us to cover, if you have any suggestions, and do get in touch because we love to hear from you, uh, and we love to hear what everyone has to say, and 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 when they bring to light new clubs or, or new topics in football history. But for now, we'll say goodbye. So Ryan, say good night to everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you very much for having me.
Philip, say good night. Bye, everyone. And we'll see you all again next week. Good night. <laughs>